The White House requests billions in tech aid for Ukraine and the significance of Biden's crypto executive order. These stories and more on this week's ISMG Security Report. Hi, I'm Anna Delaney. As the war in Ukraine rages on, the Biden administration is requesting billions of dollars in emergency funds to address Russia's campaign with a considerable lot for cybersecurity. With me to discuss is executive editor Dan Gunderman. Dan, can you outline the latest developments on the United States planned tech aid for Ukraine? Yeah, well, first off, thanks for having me today, Anna. Um, so earlier this week, the White House announced its formal request for Ukraine aid as Russian President Vladimir Putin continues to wage war in Ukraine. Um, funds for cyber defense are a critical component of that package. And um, total funds for Ukraine have actually increased since Monday to about 14 billion, with over 1 billion for the DOD cybersecurity and intelligence efforts, uh, billions to the State Department for continuity of government efforts in Ukraine, which include services and resources like cybersecurity, tens of millions to the Department of Commerce to analyze economic vulnerabilities and improve tech infrastructure tens of millions for Ukraine's electric integration and its tech components there, tens of millions to the DOJ for its new klepto capture task force against Russian oligarchs, tens of millions to the FBI for cyber and crypto analysis tools, tens of millions to Treasury for financial intelligence and for its IRS to improve digital asset monitoring, and lastly, uh, an equal lot for FinCEN's Bank Secrecy Act mission and more. So it seems like a blank check. (laughs) So how has it shifted in the past few days? Yeah, so the emergency funds request initially came from the White House um, earlier this week, and that was the $10 billion mark. And it has since increased as it's moved through Congress, which I've mentioned. The House attached the Ukrainian aid to Congress's uh, wider spending bill, which it approved, and the Senate must pass by Friday. And that is a $1.5 trillion spending package, which allocates some $2.59 billion for CISA as well, which is over $300 million more than the Biden administration budget proposal for CISA. And also House lawmakers also attached a Senate-passed cyber incident reporting mandate to the spending bill, requiring notice at 72 hours for critical infrastructure providers and 24 hours for ransom payments. So this has been a big focus within Congress on Capitol Hill for over a year now, and they've attached it to a a larger legislative package. Um, It passed the Senate in a separate form last week. So, um, but altogether to expedite expedite this whole uh, legislative package for Ukraine aid, including its tech resources. Lawmakers dropped uh, the COVID-19 related spending that was attached to it. They hope to revisit it, but there was some pushback by Republicans. So they said, we need to push this through now. So we'll revisit that. So what else are you seeing from Congress or at the executive level? So President Biden on Wednesday, um, importantly, I think, and, and related here, signed an executive order on cryptocurrency that tackles consumer protection, financial stability, national security, and climate risks. And the administration calls it the first whole of government strategy to rein in cryptocurrencies. And it really does have a thread towards the Ukraine crisis too. But altogether, the order directs the interagency to develop related policy recommendations, tasks the Federal Reserve with continuing its research into the U.S. digital dollar, and requires the Treasury Department to produce a report on the future of money and payment systems. So it follows previous enforcement actions that we've seen, uh, including on exchange sanctions from Treasury, recent analysis from stable coins from the President's Working Group on financial markets, record asset seizures by the DOJ, and a number of other uh, areas. But of course, the directive drops in a challenging and super turbulent geopolitical 
political environment, as I mentioned. So experts and industry watchers say that it may have been expedited in light of the growing threats of cyber escalation from Russian actors. And as experts fear that, you know, the Putin regime may resort to cryptocurrency to stabilize its sanctioned economy. So we're seeing a huge legislative package on just broader Ukrainian aid. We're seeing the United States take the first real step into reigning in cryptocurrencies out of partial fear for sanctions evasion. So things are moving quickly. Indeed. Well, thank you very much, Dan, for these updates. Thanks again, Anna. You're listening to the ISMG Security Report on ISMG Radio. ISMG, your number one source for information security news. As Dan mentioned earlier, this week, U.S. President Joe Biden signed an eagerly anticipated executive order on cryptocurrency regulation. Our VP of editorial, Tom Field, asked crypto expert Ari Redboard, head of legal and government affairs at TRM Labs, about the significance of this whole of government approach to getting a handle on digital assets. Essentially, what the executive order does is it tasks government agencies with really studying and providing thoughts on various issues. You know, it goes back to the Fed and, and talks about urgency around studying and understanding the implications of a central bank digital currency, like a digital dollar. How should we be thinking about stable coins? How should we be thinking about climate issues around cryptocurrency? And then obviously sort of the, the anti-money laundering piece, tasking essentially Treasury Department, SEC, DOJ with really kind of understanding what are the illicit finance risks and what can we do to overcome them? One kind of like really important point to make on this executive order is it's not all about the risks. And I think that typically when we're talking about regulators, a lot of what is discussed is what are the risks here? What are the challenges? Well, this executive order really starts off talking about the power and promise of cryptocurrency. And I feel like it's, it's worth kind of just reading here for a second. It talks digital assets, including cryptocurrencies, have seen explosive growth in recent years. And it goes on to say, the rise in digital assets creates an opportunity to reinforce American leadership in the global financial system and at the technological frontier. So much of this EO is dedicated. It's really a clarion call for the US to be a leader in the cryptocurrency space. I think it's a really exciting moment and um, you know, potentially very different than like what it ultimately could have been. Does the world need better data breach transparency? Joining me to discuss is Matthew Schwartz, executive editor for Europe, as well as Data Breach Today. Matt, experts are continuing to warn that too many data breaches still don't come to light. And when they do, too often, there are no details to help others better protect themselves. Is there a fix for this? Well, it's tricky. Speaking as a consumer, I would love to see every data breach notification include the gory details. What happened? When? How? But we so rarely see this. And as a cybersecurity reporter, I've come to believe that data breaches are a window, not into the soul of an organization, but at least into its cybersecurity practices. Now, this isn't true in all cases, but experts tell me that so often when an organization says we were breached, but we don't know how, or we don't exactly know when, or we don't really know if records were stolen or what types of information may have been compromised. And these kinds of essential details, that information not being available often traces to the victim not having had in place what it should. That includes robust defenses, monitoring to more quickly detect any potential breaches. It could also include logging so that when a breach gets discovered, perhaps weeks or months after data got stolen, or ransomware deployed, or whatever happened, 
investigators would then be able to piece together, hopefully, what did happen. Instead, we so often just get this, "Mm, sorry, we don't really know what happened. Why aren't data breach notification rules helping bring this sort of information to light? Well, what we have in place are rules for certain types of notification. And these laws are not meant to be punitive. They're meant to notify consumers when things go wrong. It all kicked off in 2003. That's when California's pioneering Security Breach Information Act went into effect. It requires breached businesses to inform state residents if their personal data was exposed. So 20 years later, in the U.S., we finally now have all 50 states with breach notification laws on the books. Some are better than others, but these laws are focused on ensuring that consumers get notified if certain types of personal information gets exposed. Already here, though, we see shortcomings. Experts say that too often consumers aren't being given timely enough or detailed enough information to assess what kinds of risks they face. Often this is identity theft, but they need to know what to do next. Now, the same can also be said of businesses who, in the event that a supplier, for example, falls victim to a hack attack, is trying to decide what to do next, how best to protect themselves, especially as we see more supply chain attacks affecting large numbers of businesses. So I was speaking recently to the Identity Theft Resource Center about this. ITRC, of course, is a nonprofit organization based in San Diego, California, and it provides no-cost assistance to U.S. identity theft victims to help resolve their cases. Now, on the heels of ITRC publishing its deep dive in 2021 data breaches in the United States, its chief operating officer, James Lee, told me that the transparency problem is getting worse. One of the things that we we do every year when we issue this report is we give people information about how these attacks occur, where they occur, when they occur, who's impacted. And uh, organizations can use that to prepare themselves for a similar kind of attack. The problem that we're seeing now is now more organizations are not reporting details or not reporting the level of details that they have historically. So in many cases, we we might know that it was a cyber attack, but we have no details underneath that. We might not even know it was a cyber attack. We just know there was a breach, but we don't know why. We don't know how. We don't know how many people were impacted. We don't know how long it took to resolve. We don't know how it was found. All of those kinds of details are very, very important in preparing other people to prevent similar events, but also it gives individual consumers the information they need to try to protect themselves. What's the risk to my information now that it's been exposed? And so we believe that's very problematic. Matt, do you see any solutions? Definitely. So kudos are due again here to California for having a dedicated privacy law on the books, which provides stronger consumer protection, including the ability to access, change, or order the deletion of most types of personal data being held by businesses. So this allows consumers to minimize the personal information being stored about them by businesses and by minimizing it to reduce the risk that they face if this business gets breached. Now, in 2023, similar laws are set to take effect in Colorado and Virginia. They're all inspired by the EU's General Data Protection Regulation. GDPR took effect in May 2018. It's a good law, 
very privacy-centric, very people-focused, has an emphasis on protecting people's personal data or else. But GDPR also has its nuances. No law, of course, is perfect. Even in Europe, the data breach picture isn't always clear. For example, breached organizations are required to inform a relevant data protection authority within 72 hours. This is good. If personal information has been exposed, the DPA will typically require that the breached organization inform victims so victims can better protect themselves. The DPA might also launch an investigation to see if appropriate security safeguards were in place, appropriate policies and procedures, and if they had a data protection officer in place, as many organizations must now have. But as with the state laws, full and complete information doesn't always come to light due to GDPR. Some DPAs disclose a lot of details. Others only provide partially complete information. For example, there is a recent breach report from law firm DLA Piper about the last 12 months of breaches in Europe. And the report notes that the country of Luxembourg imposed a fine of 746 million euros. Huge, right? But it's against an unnamed US online retailer and e-commerce platform. We can guess, but we don't know who this is. Further details are not yet publicly available, apparently because the matter is subject to an ongoing appeal. So that seems to hinge on laws in place in Luxembourg. Other countries would have already come forward with these details. So you can see country by country, even inside the EU, even complying with GDPR, there are nuances about the kinds of information, the kinds of privacy infractions that are coming to light. This, of course, contributes to our not having a complete picture of data breaches globally. But unfortunately, what I can say is, based on the information that does get reported by the DPAs, also by ITRC, for example, in the States, all signs point to the data breach problem not getting any better. That much, at least, does seem clear. Matt, thank you so much for your insight. Thank you, Anna. That's it from the ISMG Security Report. The music is by Ithaca Audio. I'm Anna Delaney. Until next time. Until next time.